0: You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
1: Run for your lives! Atoms! Millions upon billions upon trillions of them! We interrupt this program to bring you an atom update. Well, it looks like there's more to these particles than we thought. There are actually smaller particles than atoms surrounding us, and... Wait! Wait! I'm being handed an update! They're passing through us right now! Oh no! I fear this may be the end! Oh! I'm gonna take a moment to speak directly to my mother! Mama! I love you!
0: Relax. Atoms are nothing to be scared about. They help make up everything around us. They're great. In fact, in today's show, we're going to take a closer look at atoms and beyond.
2: You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and with me today is 10-year-old Mary Poole from Atlanta. Hi, Mary Poole. Hi. Today, we are looking at some pretty tiny particles, like atoms.
0: And we're gonna get even smaller to figure out this question. Hi, my name is Spiriton and I'm from Taos, New Mexico. My question is, what are atoms made of? Now Mary Poole, you actually
2: wrote in with a very similar question. What got you thinking about this?
0: Um, well, in school we were kind of learning about it and we were also listening to your podcast and we thought it would be really cool to like send in a question. So we decided to just send in a question, and I really wanted to know what atoms were made of.
2: Well, it is a really good question. So first, we're going to take a short trip to exactly where you are right now. Wherever you are, you are surrounded by atoms. In fact, you are atoms.
0: These are the smallest chemical elements in nature, and they combine together to make up everything.
2: When atoms combine, they make molecules. So two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom equals H2O, or water.
0: Carbon dioxide, the air you're breathing out of your lungs, those molecules are made up of one carbon atom and two oxygen atoms, or CO2.
2: And when you're sprinkling table salt onto your popcorn, the molecules that make up table salt are made up of one sodium atom and one chlorine atom, NaCl.
0: The ground underneath you? Molecules.
2: The clouds above you? Molecules.
0: Your body? Molecules. The thing is, molecules are so small, we can't
2: see an individual one with just our eyes. And if molecules are that small, and molecules are made up of atoms, well then atoms are even smaller. And what about the parts of an atom? That was your question, after all. At the center of every atom is its nucleus. That's made up of protons and neutrons. We'll hear more about those in a few minutes. And then zooming around every atom's nucleus are electrons. So we've got a nucleus made up of protons and neutrons and electrons zooming around it.
0: So if these subatomic particles that make up atoms are even smaller than very small atoms, how did we ever find them in the first place?
2: For that story, producer Sandon Totten is going to give us a little, and I really mean little, history.
3: Once upon a time, scientists loved glass tubes. I mean, they they still love glass tubes, but, like, back 200 years ago, they'd do all kinds of weird things with them. One popular pastime was to take a glass tube and add in a negatively charged piece of metal called a cathode, and a little further away from that, a positively charged piece of metal called an anode. Next, you'd use a vacuum pump to try to suck some of the air out from the tube, and then you'd charge up those two plates... See what happens. Good golly, Miss Molly, the tube is glowing. That's Heinrich Geissler, a German physicist and glassblower living in the 1800s. His tubes would glow when you ran the negative and positive charges into the cathode and anode. Very cool stuff. Yeah, these were the forerunners of today's neon lights. So lovely. Why were they glowing? What made them glow? Scientists figured it probably had to do with the electricity that they used to charge these metal plates, but they didn't really know what electricity was. Is it a liquid? Kind of tiny little atom things or some kind of wavy thingy? Maybe? The answer, they thought, was in these glass tubes and they were right. They just needed better vacuums.
1: My vacuums really sucked. I mean, they were
3: good at sucking. I I, I mean, they pulled out more air from tubes. Yes, 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 yes. That's British scientist William Crookes. By the 1870s, he was able to suck out a lot more air from these tubes. When he'd electrify those negative and positive metal plates in the tube, it wouldn't just glow all over inside. Instead, it would look like there was a beam of light passing from the negative plate to the positive plate. This was because there was less air in the tube. So whatever was traveling from one plate to another wasn't exciting all these air molecules along the way, leading to that spread out kind of glow. Instead, it could travel directly from one place to another with nothing in the way. Quite remarkable. It's like there's a ray sent from the cathode. These became known as cathode rays because, of course, that's what you'd call them. Scientists studied these cathode rays a lot, using many, many, many glass tubes. They found that if you placed a magnet around a glass tube like this, the cathode ray would actually bend toward the positive side of the magnet. That means the ray must have a negative charge. Because negative wants to go positive. Opposites attract. (laughs) Ha ha! So along comes this British physicist, J.J. Thompson. He does a lot of experiments on these rays. Not only does he see that the rays are negatively charged, you know, because it bended toward the positive side of the magnet. He also observes that whatever these rays are made up of, it must be very tiny stuff. He does a bunch of measurements and calculations and he figures out they must be very, very small. So, J.J., he has this big idea.
1: It's not a big idea. It's a small idea. The idea that maybe these rays are made up of particles that are so small, they're smaller than atoms. And they're not
3: just smaller than atoms,
1: they're actually parts of atoms.
3: Okay, so now, at the time, this is a bold statement. Because before old JJ, scientists thought the atom was as small as it got. It was That's it. It was just the atom was the building block and the atom was made up of the atom. That's it. But JJ argued there was actually even tinier things inside atoms, the things that made up atoms. And he said these rays we were seeing, these cathode rays, they were actually letting us get a peek at these smaller-than-an-atom things, whatever they were. I call them corpuscles. Turns out he was right about these things. Today, we call them electrons. Corpuscles are better. Eh, agree to disagree. But it was J.J. Thompson's ideas and experiments that helped us figure out that atoms aren't just a single solid thing. They have smaller parts, too. And one of those parts is a teeny, tiny, negatively charged thing called an electron. Uh, call puzzle! Oh, come on, JJ. Really? Oh, very well. An electron. Thank you. An electron. We discovered all this thanks to some really clever scientists and their weird obsession with glass tubes. Go figure. Back to you, Molly and Mary Poole. Okay. So we've got electrons, and they're zooming around the center of an atom.
2: It's nucleus. But remember the other parts of an atom?
0: Protons and neutrons.
2: Right. Now, we just heard that electrons have a negative charge. Protons have a positive charge. And neutrons have no charge at all. It's not positive or negative. It's the positive charge of a proton and negative charge of an electron that holds the atom together.
0: Opposites attract.
2: Exactly. And if you want to find out more about how atoms combine with each other to form molecules, check out our episode on how paint sticks. There's a big old molecule party going on in that one.
1: Molecule
4: party!
2: All right, Mary Poole, we are taking a slight detour from atoms. It's time for the mystery sound.
0: Mystery sound.
2: You ready to guess? Yes. Here it is. Okay. Any guesses?
0: Rice coming into a cup. Mm, So like someone
2: pouring rice into a cup? Like before it's been cooked?
0: Uh Uh-huh.
2: Excellent guess. Well, we will play the sound again a little later in the show and see if you were right. Are you a teacher using Brains On in the classroom? We're looking to provide more resources to educators like you. We've got discussion questions and Pinterest boards with activities perfect for post-listening lessons. To find out more, send an email to hello at brainson.org with the subject line, Teacher's List.
0: Brains On is fueled by your mystery sounds, letters, drawings, and questions.
2: Like this one from Eliza in Denver, Colorado.
0: Why is chocolate poisonous to dogs? If you want to get in touch like Eliza, email us at hello at brainson.org.
2: We'll answer her question in the moment of um, and hear the newest addition to the Brains Honor Roll. That's all at the end of the show.
0: Stick around.
5: Do you like stories? Then you'll love Circle Round, WBUR's new podcast for kids. We tell folk tales from around the world with awesome actors from the stage and screen. You are a genius! Find Circle Round on slash kids or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You're listening to Brains On. I'm Mary Poole.
2: And I'm Molly. Okay, let's go back to that mystery sound. Are you ready to hear it one more time? Yes. Here it is. Okay, did hearing it again prompt any new thoughts about what it might be?
0: Yes, a rain chain.
2: What's that?
0: It's like a when rain comes down, it goes into like a little chain, um, and it makes like a little that type of sound. Oh, like from your roof. It just like yeah. helps the rain go off your roof? Uh-huh, yeah.
2: You're teaching me things, Mary Poole. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear the answer.
0: Hi, I'm Masha Olsen. From Olympia, Washington. And that was the sound of me putting out a campfire with water. Putting out
2: a campfire with water.
0: Whoa. Have you done that before? Mm, yes.
2: So now that you hear that does it make sense? Yes. Still water involved, just not rain water.
1: brains on.
0: So far we've talked about some of the smallest particles we know about atoms. And
2: we've peeked behind the atomic curtain to see what they're made up of. Protons, neutrons, and electrons.
0: Which leads us to Bruce from Edmonds, Washington. He wrote in with this puzzler. My question is, is there anything smaller than an electron? Has anybody seen it?
2: An electron is what's called a fundamental particle, meaning we can't break it down into anything smaller.
0: Protons, however, are made of quarks. Quarks are also a fundamental particle, we don't think they can be broken down into anything smaller.
2: But within atoms, there are particles smaller than an electron.
0: Producer Mark Sanchez went in search of these particles, and he brought along a pal. I'm Jasper from Washington, D.C.
1: I asked Jasper to help me find the answer because...
0: I've always been interested in physics, and a while ago I heard and like and I read about subatomic particles, but they never once mentioned anything smaller than them. So, I've just had a growing desire to learn about things smaller than subatomic particles.
1: Jasper and I spoke with Kanika Suchdev. She's a physicist at Fermi Lab in Chicago where they try to detect smaller and smaller particles. Kanika's specialty is very small. She looks into particles called neutrinos.
0: I was wondering um Are we done finding smaller particles? I mean, I know we've found a lot. I don't know all of them, but is it possible (laughs) there are smaller things?
4: There actually are uh, some small particles that we are still looking for. So the reason we go looking for things is that we study nature, and then we find something that happens in nature that we can't quite explain with all the particles that we already know about. Uh, so dark matter uh, is one of those things. So when we look out in the universe, we find that uh, the the rate at which the galaxies are uh, rotating it means that the there must be more mass in the galaxies than we can see. So then we hypothesize, hmm, there must be something else out there that we can't see, and that's what dark matter is. So. We, there certainly are more particles in nature than we have discovered so far, and the reason we go looking for them is because the world as we observe it doesn't quite make sense without, you know, imagining something more uh, than we've already observed. So we're far from done. <laughs> are there ways of measuring particles, like, smaller than electrons and or, like, protons, neutrons, stuff like that? Uh, Yeah, so it depends upon uh, what the properties of that particle are. So there are certain particles which are quote-unquote smaller than electron. One of those particles is a neutrino, and that's the one that I work with. So the way we study these particles is uh, most of these particles you cannot observe directly. So if you want to see a particle in your detector, that particle has to have some charge. So, you know, electron has an negative charge. So as the electron goes through your detector, it produces some light and then you can see it. Similarly, if a a positively charged particle goes through your detector, you can see it. But if a particle is neutral, for example, a neutrino is a neutral particle. That is, it does not have any positive or negative charge. So when it passes through your uh, your detector, you cannot see it at all. It just blows right through it and you would never see it except very occasionally what happens is that as a neutrino is going through your detector, it just happens to hit an atom inside of your detector. So when the neutrino hits an atom or a nucleus inside of your detector, then it produces a splash of energy. It's basically like a small, tiny billiard ball coming in and hitting the other balls, and then all the other billiard balls will just go around and uh, hit the walls of the billiards table. So that's what we see. So a neutrino quietly comes into the detector, it hits something, and then it produces the the something that it hits, it just explodes, and then you know you, you see tiny uh, particles coming out of the, the nucleus. So that's how we observe uh, particles, and that's one of the ways we observe neutrinos, which are smaller than the electron. There are
1: different ways to measure particles. One way a neutrino is smaller than an electron is by its mass. When it comes to mass, a neutrino is about a million times lighter than an electron. And that's not all.
4: The model of the universe that we have, standard model, uh, is what we call it. And most of the predictions of the standard model have been experimentally confirmed. Uh, But there are some experiments that we have done where we don't really understand what's going on. Uh, so for instance, we don't understand what dark matter is, we don't really understand what dark energy is, we don't really understand what the fundamental nature of all of these particles is. So, you know, when I say an electron is a fundamental particle, there's nothing more to an electron but in le- an electron itself. Now, is that really a true statement? Uh, there's models out there which say that all of these particles are made up of something else. For instance, there's the string theory, which says that particles are made up of strings. Is that really true? (laughs) We don't really know yet. And at least, none of the experiments that we have done show that there are strings or any such thing. Uh, But this is an ongoing uh, quest, uh, and I don't think we're anywhere near the answers yet.
1: String theory, dark matter, dark energy, all these things that Kanaka and the people at Fermilab and scientists all over the world are trying to find, they're smaller than an electron. They're smaller than we can even imagine. But when you put them all together, They make up everything we know. Atoms
2: are the smallest natural elements we know of.
0: They combine to make molecules, which make up pretty much everything around us.
2: Atoms are made up of protons, neutrons, and electrons.
0: Fundamental particles like quarks and electrons can't be broken down into smaller pieces.
2: We know neutrinos are smaller than an electron if you measure their mass, and there might be smaller particles too.
0: Scientists are still on the hunt for them.
2: That's it for this episode of Brains On.
0: Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom.
2: And Brains On is made possible in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation.
0: We had audio help from Johnny Vince Evans, Jim Schultz, Kevin Rinker, and Veronica Rodriguez.
2: Special thanks to Parker and Leanne Smith, Michael Wollison, Vicki Schabo, Jamie Olson, Julia Majors at the American Institute of Physics, Emily Allen, John Lambert, Maureen Hans Butow, Vicky Kreckler, John Raby, John Cohn, and Jason Georges.
0: So is that it? Are we done? Almost. Oh yeah, time for some chocolate.
2: Except not for dogs. No chocolate for dogs.
0: And why is that? It's kind of like a moment of, um, 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 Hello, my name is Eliza from Denver, Colorado, and my question is, why is chocolate poisonous to dogs?
6: My name is Cassie Panning. I'm a certified veterinary technician here at the University of Minnesota, and I work primarily in the nutrition service. Uh, We do nutrition appointments for dogs, so we help with things like dietary recommendations for new puppies or large breed growing dogs. We also do a lot of obesity cases to help pets lose weight in a healthy manner, as well as making specific dietary recommendations if they have certain medical conditions that require a special or tailored to their individual needs diet. Dogs can't eat chocolate in the same way humans can because humans have a specific enzyme that helps break down the theobromine, which is a component of the chocolate that in dogs, because they have a lot less of that enzyme, can build to to toxic levels for the dogs when they eat the chocolate, unlike in humans. Same as if you or I went ahead and ate the whole bag of our Halloween candy, we might not have life-threatening symptoms, but we're probably gonna have an upset stomach. So some stomach pain, we might get a little bit of vomiting or diarrhea. Same with our dogs. When they ingest the products, especially in larger quantities, we absolutely can see it cause that upset stomach first. And then as their levels build and they get more and more of those toxic components, we end up seeing the things like their heart starts racing or their blood pressure goes way up, which can again lead to more life-threatening symptoms if left untreated.
2: Um, um, um. Let's put a cherry on this chocolate cake.
0: It's time to hand out high fives to the kids who shared their ideas and questions with us. Here are the latest additions to the Brains Honor Roll.
2: Matthew from Wheaton, Illinois, Lorelei from Petaluma, California, Brayden from Nipomo, California, Calvin from Goshen, Connecticut, Owen from Battle Creek, Michigan, Frida from Perth, Australia, Brooke, Silas and Jonas from Duluth, Georgia, Gabby and Millie from Cumberland, Foreside, Maine, Arlo from Mississippi, Sarah and Isaac from Sioux Falls, Archer from Kalundra, Australia, Michael from Clarkston, Michigan, Alana from Australia, Elijah from Charlotte, North Carolina, Aaron, Elias and Audrey from Austin, Texas, Thomas and Evelyn from Renfrew, Ontario, Jack from Stanhope, New Jersey, JP and Caroline from Oak Park, Illinois, Quinn from Wake Forest, North Carolina, Abby from Richmond, Virginia. Grace from Menominee, Wisconsin. Claire from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Griffin from Chicago. Connor and Tanner from Richmond, Utah. Maya, Nora, and Theo from Rochester, Minnesota. Charlotte from Aspendale, Australia. Petra from Charlottesville, Virginia. Sam and Abby from Fullerton, California. Megan from Tempe, Arizona. Monique from Sydney, Australia. Caleb from La Mesa, California. Mick and Cameron from Hastings, New Zealand. Arthur from Washugal, Washington. Grant and Dean from Winter Park, Florida. Scarlett from Louisiana. Axler from Pittsburgh. Sydney from Woodstock, Georgia. Ryan from Seattle, West From Escondido, California, Miles from North Carolina, Jasper from Banff, Alberta, and Jack and Dylan from Solberry Township, Pennsylvania. (laughs) Remember, if you want your name added to the honor roll, send your questions, mystery sounds, drawings, and letters to hello at brainson.org. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions.
0: Thanks for listening.